Welcome to the local angle on FanDuel TV. Shiel Kapadia here joined by Ben Solak from the Ringers Philly special. We will, of course, break down the Eagles thrilling 37-34 overtime win over the Bills. Then Brian Barrett and James White from off the pike will join to talk about the Patriots loss to the Giants. John Jastrzemski, JJ from New York, New York, will offer the Giants perspective on that game. He'll also talk about the Jets Black Friday loss to the Dolphins. And finally, Jason Goff. From the full go, we'll preview Bears, Vikings. But you know what we have to start with, Ben. So, like a thriller. Uh, I thought middle of the third quarter. I'm preparing my takes for the show. I'm ready to rip a lot of people on this Eagles team. And what yes, do they do? Once again, they had 24-14 in the third quarter. They had like 76 yards passing through three quarters. And what do they do? They storm back. They win this football game, 37-34 in overtime who improved to 10 and one on the season. I don't even have a question for you. You don't even need me to tee you up. How are you feeling after this victory? Yeah, I, it's, they're immortal. Like I think I said after the Chiefs game, I'll keep saying every time they win one of these games, they just can't die. But as hard as they try, they cannot lose a game. No matter what they do, it'll be Jake Elliott in the rain, 59-yarder to send it to overtime. Uh, Hayden Wings of Underdog Fantasy tweeted out uh, the Bills being the fourth team ever to win the turnover battle, have 500 total yards, outgain the opponent by at least 127 yards, and still lose. That, like, like in no world did the Eagles win this game. Not in, in, in very few worlds did they win this game. But, man, does, does, do they just continue to do it? Like, it, it is a unbelievable thing still to watch, even after all of these wins to watch. This team get into so many environments in which other teams crumble. They start to get procedural penalties when they're in field goal range. Like, all right, this is it. They finally made the mistake. No, they didn't. Jake Elliott saves them. They get, uh, uh, you know, the, the turnovers to end the first half, and they go into halftime at a double-digit uh, double deficit. You go, all right, they have 39 yards passing at the half. The rain is coming down. They can't fix it. This is finally it, the game where it catches up to them, and it never catches up to them. They just continue to run with fire on their heels and win game after game after game. They are 10-1. and one. They've beaten the Chiefs and the Bills. They've already beaten the Cowboys this season. We were so, so terrified of this stretch. We were so terrified of uh, Dolphins, Cowboys, Chiefs, Bills. And they've played that stretch, and they just walked through it. Like, like, it's, like, it's not a thing. It's something to watch, man. It really is. Remind the people, the only quarterback to beat the Eagles so far this season? Zach. Wilson, Zach, Zach QB three on the Jets, Zach behind Tim Boyle and Trevor Simeon, Wilson. It's uh, I I hope I want the Eagles so badly to win every single game this season in the Super Bowl, so that that trivia in fact can exist forever. The one loss for the set, the sixteen and one Eagles, the Super Bowl champion Eagles, was Zach Wilson and the Jets. All right, so we're going to get into all of the, the details, the minutia with this game. If you are a fan who attended this game, if you are a fan who watched this game, amazing experience. This is like when, this is when you're bouncing the grandkids uh, on your knee and telling them about uh, a long time from now. It was that type of game. Very fun. However, let's zoom out and answer this big picture question first, then, because are the Eagles the luckiest team in the NFL? Are the Eagles a team of destiny, just resilient, clutch? knows how they know how to win because you and I do analysis on the entire NFL and we look at other teams sometimes that win in this manner over and over and over again and I don't know about you my general inclination is to be like well they're not quite as good 
as that record indicates. The Eagles right now are 7-1 and one in games decided by seven points or fewer. Here, here's one that I think you're going to like, Soleil. Since 2000, there have been 30 teams that have been 10-1 and one or better through 12 weeks of the season. Where do you think the Eagles' point differential ranks among those 30 teams? For 10-1 and one teams, uh, uh, since 2000. Years, since 2000, yep. it's been 30 of them. I mean, like, it's 29th or 30th, yeah? 30th. Plus, yeah. there's plus 64. No team that has had 10, 10 wins through 12 weeks of the season has had a lower point differential than the Eagles. 24 of the 30 were plus 100 or better. Now, having said that, we watch this time and again. And what you say is right. Jalen Hurts, Jake Elliott, 59-yarder, he doesn't care. He's just sitting on the bench, annoyed at how they handled the last drive, ready to come out in overtime, make a play happen. Defense needs a play. Uh, they make a play. The Bradbury interception earlier. So what is it? If you're an Eagles, does it, ma- it, probably, it doesn't matter, first of all. If you're an Eagles fan, you're like, who cares? We're 10-1. and one. We're probably going to be the one seed in the NFC. But let's zoom out and just try to assess how good is this team? Where do you kind of land on? Yeah. Uh- so I definitely think that like the average Eagles fan gets the sense that this team is not as good as last year's team. Like I think if you watch every single uh, game that this team plays, that's pretty apparent to you, right? They make more mistakes. They clearly have more turnovers, right? Hertz was so good at protecting the ball last year. This year, the Eagles suffer from a lot of turnovers. They're above league average of turnovers on offense, uh, and their uh, their offense is clearly more disjointed, right? There's a uh, uh, last year it felt like they would always just get into a rhythm, find a play that worked, find a couple ideas, find a couple of wrinkles, and then just start pushing it down the field by the second quarter. They were unstoppable. This year it's much more herky-jerky. This year it's much more irregular, right? So I think visibly, uh, football watchers, I watch the Eagles every single Sunday for uh, 10 years, 20 years. This team is clearly not as good as they were. However, when you have a team that's 10-1 and like this and, and they're skating by, by, you know, by the skin of their teeth and they're winning some games they don't deserve to win, uh, Greg Rosenthal of Around the NFL uh, tweeted out, the Eagles have been outgained by at least 100 yards in four straight games. They're 4-0 and in those games, right? And so when you're watching this and, 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 and seeing a team kind of skate by with some wins maybe they shouldn't necessarily have, you, the fact that the Eagles were as good as they were last year is actually constructive to that. It's, like, it's soothing to that because if this were just like an average team that were punching above their weight and winning games they don't deserve to win, you would say, okay, eventually the floor is going to come out from underneath them. But now we have just two years of the Eagles just don't lose games. Two years. Like, Jalen Hurts has won seven games in a row, but she's been trailing by 10 points. Right? Like, we have... We have that's this that's team the... Has, wi- say that again. That is the wild... That might be the wildest stat about In it. the last seven games that Jalen Hurts has played, in which he has been trailing by 10 points, he is 7-0. and That's not wow. how... That's not how trailing by 10 points is supposed to work. Okay? <laughs> uh, so it's the fact that they have such a large body of, of good play. And, and critically... Good play through different avenues. What we always talked about with this team, right, is the Devontae Smith game, the A.J. Brown game, the DeAndre Swift game, the Jalen Hurts game. Such that they're, they're really never at, like, at, at no point have they ever seemed, like, completely and totally dazed. Never, like, they, like, like uh, you use the boxing analogy, they take a right cross and they just lose the fight. They lose the tempo. They lose their, their, their gut. They lose their, their metal. They just are out of the fight now. Now it's just a matter of time before the finishing blow comes. They are never out. They are never down for the count. Because they've been doing this for so long. First, playing at a very high level, and then also winning close games. So that even when they're not playing at a high level, as they were for a majority of this game, they can say, well, all right, we've had enough moments of A.J. Brown makes breaks four tackles, enough moments of DeAndre Swift with an explosive run, enough moments of Jalen Hurts third down, scramble outside of the pocket, make a play, that we can scrape this thing together. Like, we, even if we don't end up becoming, like, dominant on every single snap and just running away with this, 
we can get enough good plays to get back in this thing, right? And then they do. They get third, 15, 11, Asikias, Moss on the back pylon. They have, there's just, they have just been here so much. They are just totally unflappable. They never, ever, ever blink. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I think we can say, if nothing else, they always will give themselves a chance. I mean, you can last 26 games with Jalen Hurts as the starter in the regular season. They're 24 and two. I mean, come on. If you're an Eagles fan listening, that will never happen again in your lifetime. I can't say that with like 100% certainty. I'm pretty sure that's never again uh, going to happen. So, I mean, I look at it, these coin flip games, generally they, I mean, you might have a lucky season. There's no doubt about it. Generally, they kind of even out. They give themselves chances. I don't think they're a juggernaut that's just like far and away the best team in the NFL, although the standings would tell you. I mean, this is rare, Ben. They're 10 and one. Every other team has at least three losses. We, I feel like we say this every week. Now we're going, what's next? We're going into week 13. And you have a two-game lead on every other team in the NFC with two huge ones coming up here uh, against the 49ers and the Cowboys. All right, here are some things that had to happen for them to win this game. You block a 34-yard field goal. If Jalen Carter, you know, if you weren't Big happy ball. enough with, with, with Jalen Carter, he just gets his hand uh, on that bad boy. Bills miss a 48-yard field goal. And then the, I mean, what's going through your head? Okay, so that, let's, let's go to that last drive of regulation. So they're driving, Jalen Hurts, completion, 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 complete. And then all of a sudden, drive stalls a little bit. Jason Kelsey, I don't know how a center is ever still enough to not be called for a false start, by the way. Like, I just generally, yeah. my body has to move a little bit. Jason Kelsey gets called for two false starts. Then on third down, Jalen Hurts to A.J. Brown on this, uh, I think it was like a return route that is basically at the line of scrimmage. You don't gain any yards on that. You line up for a 59-yard field goal in the rain. I know you have your Jake Elliott uh, jersey on right now, but he's were never you, missed a kick. He's never missed a kick. So were you, I mean, were you feeling it in that moment? Did you really think he's making this? We're going to overtime, or were you like oh, offense? Come on, you could have given yes. him uh, a few more yards there. I thought he was making the kick. I, absolutely. Firstly, Jake <laughs> Elliott's never missed a kick. Write that down. Secondly, uh, next gen stats. Uh, uh, after he made the kick, which is a 20.9% chance of making it, Next Gen Stats figured it out. Elliot has made all three of his field goals with a sub 25% make probability in his career, which is the most attempts by any kicker without a miss since 2016. Elliot is so good. He's so obnoxiously good. And, and that 59 yarder, he hits on a drive, too. He hits on a line. That sucker was good from 63, brother. I what mean, was it really good? I need to see a next because it felt like it was good from like 75. Like it was not even close. I mean, I, the end of that Texans game today yeah. where the guy's putting all of his might into it and it hits the crossbar. And this didn't even feel like he had to try that hard. And it went so I, it's, the uprights. Distance wise, I feel like it had to have been good from the high 60s. It was starting to lean into the pylon. And, and, yeah. uh, but is that what the vertical thing is called? Well, crossbar upright, uh, upright. We started to lean upright, to the upright. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't think either. I'm like cross. But listen, it was a weird brain game. is fried. A full right NFL there. Sunday overtime game. I don't remember the words. It was <laughs> starting to lean to the right upright, and so I don't know if it would have been good from that long, but I had the leg for it. But yeah, also I knew he was going to hit it because I knew the Eagles were going to win because that's what they do. They define like the defining characteristic of like the Dolphins is that they do motion and, 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 and speed. And the defining characteristic of the Niners is that they do play action. And the defining characteristic of the, of the Browns is that they have a four-man rush. And the defining characteristic of the Eagles is they win the game. And the defining characteristic of the Bills is Josh Allen's incredible. You know what I'm saying? Like, every, like, all the great teams have like, a defining characteristic, and the Eagles one is just whatever happens, they end up 
winning on the scoreboard at the end. So just that that's that's their character. That's their quality. So yeah, I knew he was gonna make it. That drive was really nicely managed up until those false start penalties. And then I think Hertz throwing to AJ Brown, there was a really bad error because God forbid he catches that. You've gained nothing and now you're in fire drill for the kick. I think he has to not throw that. He has to throw the ball further down the field. Uh, it, you're fine getting tackled in space. You're, you're honestly kind of fine with an incompletion too. The nightmare is sack or tackled for no gain. Then it puts you in fire drill mode. And so that was a bad choice by him. Largely, it was a good drive though. Uh, and then, yeah, Ellie has to come out and make the kick and he does. What, what, what a shot. What a shot. Eagles improve to 10 and 1. All right. All right. Now let's go to Brian Barrett and James White from off the pike to talk about that Patriots loss to the Giants. Was that the greatest tanking job of all time? Or did the Patriots just miss the field goal uh, at the end while trying to win the game? Let's see what the guys have to say about that one. from off the pike and joining us now as he does each and every week after patriots games it is james white james the patriots dropped to two and nine we didn't see one bad quarterback today we saw two bad quarterbacks today and we've said multiple times this season this team just continues to go in the wrong direction although today i would almost argue chad ryland missing that kick at the end of the game they're actually going in the right direction because now the giants are up to four wins of the season and look, Carolina won today, and or Carolina lost today, rather, and Chicago has that pick. It's going to be very difficult to get to the number one pick in the draft. But the Patriots right now, as bad as today was, I do think if you're a Patriots fan right now, you have to have some level of optimism that, hey, maybe we're going to get the next franchise quarterback out of this. It's still disappointing in a way, just when watching the game, playing, uh, I would still say, that's an inferior opponent, having Tommy DeVito. You know, as their starting quarterback right now, that's a game that the Patriots should win. But like you said, it's more of the same offensively. Turnovers from both quarterbacks. I thought they should have ran the ball a little bit more. That's your two best players. Keep saying it every single week. Hand those guys the ball. Get them the ball as much as possible. But like you said, it at the end of the day, it probably is better to to lose right now than it is to win. But man, it's, it's just <laughs> it's just hard to watch because you know we're so accustomed to playing a certain way, and you guys are so accustomed to watching a certain brand of football in the last two years. It hasn't been, you know, close to that, you know, whatsoever. It's been in spurts. You know, last year they had a few games where they looked pretty solid on both sides, but for the most part, it's been very inconsistent. Yeah, it's been really difficult to watch. And now I think I'm at the stage where I'm just used to it now, so I'm not upset like I was. (laughs) Earlier on in the season, James, I was coming on here, I was screaming, I was all (laughs) upset. Now I've come to terms with it, right? And to your point about the running game, it's fascinating to me that if you look at it from a Patriots perspective in this game, they ran the ball less, but they ran for more yards. And they threw the ball more, but they threw for fewer yards. Which in the modern day NFL, that's nearly impossible to do. So let's get to the quarterbacks, because neither one of them was great in this game. And Mac Jones, he wins the Week 12 quarterback battle, which we always see in the NFL. Every team is competing Week 12 to figure out who their starting quarterback is going to be, right? Right. Somehow Mac wins it, and as I'm watching the first half of this game, I tweeted out, we need to see the footage of Bailey Zappi's practice, because how could he possibly be worse than what Mac Jones is doing right now? So just like some of those interceptions, the one he threw to Deontay Banks, I don't know what he's doing there. There's one Patriot in the area, and no disrespect to Douglas, who we all love, Pop Douglas, but 
he's like what five eight five nine five seven maybe and there's three giants around him right then the second one he's getting hit by Isaiah Simmons and he just sort of throws it up just trying to get rid of the football and then later on he threw into double coverage where uh, essentially booty was blanketed I don't know what he was thinking there and then he almost lost the ball again well he did technically lose the ball but the Patriots recovered on that fumble when he was stripped so now you look at it on the season Mac Jones has 12 interceptions and 10 touchdowns. And you look across the league, the high turnover guys, like Sam Howell, for example, 13 interceptions, he has 18 touchdowns. Allen, 12 interceptions, 22 touchdowns. Jordan Love, 10 interceptions, 19 touchdowns, two a 10 and 22 touchdowns. And Mac, as we mentioned, is 12 interceptions, 10 touchdowns. So right now what we have with Mac Jones is clearly he's in his own head right now. He can't be the starting quarterback of this team going forward. As bad as Bailey Zappi played, I think you have to go with Zappi going forward based on what we continue to see from Mac Jones. But basically what Mac is, is you would hope he could be a smart quarterback, don't turn the football over, make the right play, hand it off to Stevenson, hand it off to Zeke, and let the defense do the bulk of the work. But the problem is now he's a turnover-prone player with up, without the upside of some of these guys that do turn the football over a lot. Mac just... He hasn't helped himself. Uh, I said it early on in the year. He's been trying to force the issue. There's nobody open. He has time in the pocket. If there's nobody open, just throw it away on that first interception. You don't have to force the ball and you know try and make somebody make a play. There's three defenders around him. There's no chance he's going to get that one. The second one, the, the Pop Douglas, they had him lined up in the backfield. They had him trying to get isolated on a, either a linebacker or safety. I don't know who was covering. He was taking his sweet time getting out of the backfield. So, you know, Max sees the pressure. He's trying to get the ball out of his hands, but he's not He's not looking. Just throw the ball into the dirt. Let the fight another play. Don't turn the football over. That's a game you can win if you just leave the game with no interceptions or no turnovers. I just think as a, he's just trying to prove himself too much. And you, the quarterback, you can't – I mean, you can make things happen sometimes, but you can't force the ball and, like, think guys just going to somehow make a play for you. And I think that's been his biggest issue. And <laughs> – I don't know if they start Zappy going for it. Maybe they will, but like the the product's not going to look much better. Like as we see, whenever he steps in, like he had the one drive as a bunch of screens and flat passes. So like, yeah, yeah. Matt could have done the same thing if they would just lined up and threw screens and handed it off all the way down the field. I just I just don't know. I mean, to him, I guess to be fair to him, it'd be give him an opportunity to start a full four quarter football game, let him get in rhythm and see what he looks like. From that aspect, because this year he just came in, you know, either in the second half or when Mac has been tripping throughout the game. So I guess in all fairness, we should give him an opportunity to go out there and start a full four quarters. Well, yeah, and we were talking about it last week is just why not just go with Malik Cunningham at this point, right? (laughs) The one thing the Patriots actually do well is run the football. And over the past two weeks, they've been one of the most efficient running teams of the NFL. Like those are the numbers. They have been one of the most efficient running teams in the entire NFL. Yet today, they, for some reason, threw the ball more than they ran the ball, although it was a one-score game pretty much the entirety of the game, which I I can't really comprehend why that was. But to your point about Mack and Zappi, like, you look at Mack, he's 4.2 yards per attempt. Bryce Young's last in the NFL at 5.3. Zappi was at 3.9. Mack had a 27.8 passer rating. Zappi had a 42 passer rating. So they were both horrible. And you mentioned it, right? Like, so they come in, and it's basically... All these like screen passes, right? Like if you look at the actual air yards, they're all negative. It's like negative five air yards, negative one air yards. His like longest air yard pass is like five yards in the first three series, right? And then 
he throws a pick where I don't know what he was thinking either, where this is, I guess this is just the theme of the day for the Patriots quarterbacks is, hey, there's three Giants over there. There's one Patriot. Let's throw it into that area. I have no idea what Bailey Zappi was thinking on that play either. And quite frankly, he tried to throw another pick later on in the game as well. So I'm with you as if like there's really not a good choice right now. That's why I think at least Malik Cunningham would be bring this team a different element, right? Other than Mac and Zappi, who are pretty similar talent wise, like Mac's more talented, but neither one of these guys is incredibly talented and they don't bring the element of the run. So I would just give Malik Cunningham an opportunity and just dig, just run the, I would run the, run the ball 60 times if that's what it thinks, takes. The, the forward pass for the Patriots, just pull it out of the playbook at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's not working. Yeah, it's It's been tough. I mean, every time the ball, you know, goes probably past five yards, you kind of hold your breath, and like hoping that somebody's actually open down the field. Hopefully somebody's going to be able to make a play on it. I mean, the game plan this week seemed fairly simple. It's a bunch of slants, swing routes, screens, slip screens. That's really all it was. And still we find ourselves, you know, every time they throw the football, it's it's a close call for the most part. So it's it's tough to see. Maybe they do either, you know, give Malik Cunningham a try, gives defense something else to think about, QB runs, RPOs, all things of that nature. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like they'll still end up rotating those guys. And, hey, guys keep turning football over, the next guy goes into the football game. I thought it was interesting how they, how they waved Will Greer. There. I thought he was going to be – in the mix, but who knows how he's actually practicing. We're not out there for that. But yeah, the the quarterbacks right now, I think they're they're just wondering what's gonna be going on from a day to day basis, week to week basis, and it seems like both of their confidence is shot right now. Yeah, well, and it's a good point on Will Greer. If they waived him, man, how bad was he <laughs> in the limited rest that he got practice? I just think it's weird, right? Because have you ever had a situation in your career? I mean, most of it was with Tom, so I know not when Tom you were playing with Tom, but say like when it was Cam at the end of the 2020 season or something, like, did you ever have an experience? Not, I get probably in college, but where like quarterbacks were basically switching off reps. It, like there was reporting this week, Phil Perry said that essentially guys had to work with the quarterbacks on the side to get extra work in. Like that to me is probably not the best way. And I get it. The Patriots are in a difficult situation, but how does that help anybody if they don't know who the quarterback's gonna be like either say hey max not playing anymore zappy's the starter or hey max gonna start zappy's not starting like i don't understand why they had this competition all week because quite frankly both guys looked as bad as they've looked all season yeah it's tough to say i think <laughs> it's always tough when you're rotating quarterbacks in the middle of the year in the middle of a game it's hard for guys to build chemistry but i said the chemistry wasn't there even when mac was starting every single football game and when Zappy comes in, it looks it looks good for you know a few plays, and it's kind of back to more of the same after you know the one good drives that he does have. And so I, I had it in college, I think one year, but most of the the QB changes my junior year was because of injuries, so that was kind of our issue. But yeah, I, I haven't seen anything quite like it. And but that's just that's what happens when you're at this point. You've only won two football games. Your quarterbacks have been underwhelming and underperforming everything's get, getting thrown on the table. You're trying to find ways to get guys motivated, get them, find a way for them to perform better. So maybe that's where the competition aspect came from is maybe this can get these guys to lock in a little bit more. If we, we're not going to name a starter, we're just going to say whoever performs best the week of practice, that's going to be the guy. But it didn't work this week. We'll see what they do next week. 
So as someone that played for Bill Belichick for the majority of your career, well, all your career, how do you think he's doing right now? (laughs) I I honestly don't know. It's a completely different situation than what I've been a part of, than what he's been a part of, you know, probably ever since his first couple years joining the Patriots. But yeah, it's it's not it's not fun losing. The building is not fun. Showing up to work is not fun. Practice isn't fun when you're losing every single week. The one disappointing year that I was a part of was in 2020. We you know we had one more football games than what they'll probably win this year, and that wasn't that wasn't fun for me. And now they're like most of the time it's not even competitive. I know it was a close game today for the most part, but offensively they can't get much done. So it's it's hard, man. I don't know where his <laughs> emotions are. I'm sure they're just evaluating everything, even to the core. Like they're probably watching tape a hundred million times, just trying to figure out why guys are going out there and not executing defensively. I think it's been fine. They they've played well enough for them to win most games. Just the offense just hasn't done their part. Yep, and it's certainly got to kill Bill that they lost to the Giants. That's got to stick. All right, next up is J.J. John Jastrzemski talking about Tommy DeVito with another one uh, on the New York New York podcast. He'll talk about that Giants win over the Patriots and, of course, the Jets' embarrassing loss on Black Friday to the Miami Dolphins. To the local angle right here on FanDuel TV. I'm John Jastrzemski, the host of New York, New York, where you think about where we were a decade ago. Thanksgiving weekend, the New York Jets playing a nationally televised football game gave us the butt fumble. I don't know what I'm going to call Friday's proceedings on Black Friday against the Miami Dolphins. We already have a fail Mary We already have a miracle at the Meadowlands and not a good one if you're a fan of the New York Giants. Way back to Pisarczyk and Herman Edwards and on and on we go. But what you added on Friday is yet another chapter in the futility and the misery and just the angst and agita and everything that comes with being a New York Jet fan. The New York Jets were... Definitely undermanned, to say the least. Taking on the Miami Dolphins with Tim Boyle at quarterback. It's Tim Boyle. The fact that Tim Boyle is even playing a game for the New York Jets tells you all you need to know about this season. But on a day in which the Jets did nothing on offense, couldn't get a first down, couldn't get a yard, for goodness sakes, they were in a position with about five seconds left at the end of the first half to go and get in a locker room down four against a playoff caliber opponent. Where I think most Jeff fans would have said and signed for on the dotted line, hey, down four against the Miami Dolphins, let's go. What proceeded to happen is one of the more remarkable, one of the more bizarre, and without a doubt, one of the more humiliating and embarrassing football plays you're ever going to see. Javon Holland going 105 yards from a Hail Mary attempt, turning into a pick six touchdown, basically when Mike McDaniel is running off the field before Javon Holland even gets in the end zone. 
Only the Jets. Only the Jets. Only the Jets. And what proceeded to happen from that point in time is exactly what you would expect between the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets. The Miami Dolphins ran it down their throats. The Jet defense tired. And the Miami Dolphins win going away. And the Jets fall to four and seven on the year. The Jets are a broken football team without Aaron Rodgers. We all know that this coaching staff and this front office has the ultimate ace in the hole that's probably, in theory, going to save all of their jobs. And that would be Aaron Rodgers towards Achilles for poison in the season. How are we supposed to survive that? That's a fair argument, except for the fact that the Jet offense has been historically bad. Historically bad as far as EPA, as far as so many metrics that you want to find throughout the NFL. How many games are we talking about this year where the Jets have failed to score an offensive touchdown? That's as bad as can be. No creativity. No flow. No plan. On the other side of the ball, despite their talent, they're undisciplined. And basically, the only thing that's saving Robert Sala is the fact that he's had no quarterback. Because if you look at Robert Sala's record, and if you look at what the Jets have been each of the last three years, the guy's been the coach now for three years, they won no games this first year, a couple of games, whatever the hell the number was. It wasn't a lot. They won seven games last year and went from seven and four to seven and ten, which is hard to do in the NFL. And now they sit here at four and seven, going nowhere fast with Atlanta and Houston and Miami all coming up on the schedule. Like the feeling I had from a New York Jets perspective, leaving that stadium on Friday. If you think it's going to be happily ever after with Robert Sala coaching the Jets, I think you're gravely mistaken. Honestly, you're a Jet fan right now. You think Robert Sala is taking you to the promised land? I don't. What, what evidence do I have that the Jets have the right coach for the job? And I'm not necessarily suggesting a firing. I don't think it's as cut and dry. I just don't think they have the right guy for the job. The, the, the game plans are not creative enough. The offensive hires have not been good enough. A lot of that is on the coach. It's his team. It's his baby. His record. Aaron Rodgers ultimately is going to decide who's coaching his team or not. But the more and more I watch Robert Sala coach games, the more and more uninspired I become. Is that a reasonable statement to make? I, I think it is. Like, truthfully, you're a Jeff fan. You think Salah is your coach in three years or four years? Gut feel. Life on the line. You got to sign to it right now. Think Robert Salah is your coach? I don't. I, I don't. And that's why I think these next couple of weeks are super imperative for him. As far as, okay, your team is four and seven. The effort going to be there? Or are we going to be talking about a team that is completely shot, that is going through the motions, and is just waiting for baggy day that second Sunday in January? That's my question. And that's what Robert Sala has got to figure out for the New York Jets. 
And can I just throw this out there? Because I've heard so much of this these last few days. I've heard more of, more of it this weekend. Can we put to bed the idea that Aaron Rodgers is going to come back? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. If the Jets are, what, 5-9 and nine or 6-8 and eight, and he's medically cleared to play, it's still malpractice to put him out on the field. Behind that offensive line? In Cleveland in week 17? Yeah, going up against that defense? Good luck. You are asking for a season that has already been an all-time jet flop to become that much more of a flop. It's not worth the risk. Get Aaron Rodgers, better pieces on the line. Get him a second wide receiver and say, all right, buddy, we'll, we'll see you in 2024 without the hard knocks cameras. There is absolutely no reason to bring Aaron Rodgers back on the field. And the Jets, if they're out of it and they bring him back, shame on them. And I know it's good for content. And I know it's good for my podcast, New York, New York, and all the stuff I'm doing on FanDuel TV and on SNY. It's still stupid. Jets cannot be that dumb. They can't be that dumb. And if it means telling Rodgers, tough luck, you're not playing, that's the way it's got to be. So we have that going on in Jetland, four and seven, going nowhere fast, embarrassing themselves yet again on national television. All right, let's take a couple of voicemails. Let's hear them from Steph. JJ, Justin in Miami. You know, it's not even just winning these games. It's painful because the Giants are tanking their draft pick. It's the manner in which they're winning these games. There's nothing that really gives you hope that anything sustainable is happening. I mean, in many ways, this is the worst type of 4-18. and 18. They, certainly, by good teams. And then when they win, they barely beat the worst teams of the league. Like, it's hard to look at this season and say, oh, this team could have been 8-4 with some breaks. I mean, frankly, they could have been 2-10. And, and, and my biggest concern is, what are we going to get at the end of this? We're going to sit through a season in which we're out of it since week three, and we're going to get like the seventh pick in the draft or the sixth pick in the draft. And and the concern is, what does that mean? We're going to get another sandwich served up, another, hey, Daniel Jones, again, with with, a, with Brock Bowers. It's like a sandwich with cheese. I'm just sick of the Daniel Jones era. I mean, to me, I don't care if this team picks five, seven, ten. They better take a quarterback because you cannot sell me on another year of Daniel Jones, a guy who... Let's be honest, can't stay healthy. And when he is healthy, best case scenario is a borderline top 12 guy. I mean, can, it's crazy to me that a guy like that is on his sixth year and, and still treated as the franchise guy. And I think a lot of giant fans, that's our concern is this is going to give John Mara a chance to sell the fan base on another year of Daniel Jones because the guy likes him. Talk to you later, buddy. Justin, that's going to be a tough sell with his injury history now. Whether you're drafting a quarterback in the first round or not, they, they need a, a legitimate pick used on a quarterback who, in my opinion, has got to be the next guy. So I think that pick's got to either come in the first or the second round. But as far as Caleb Williams and Drake May, yeah, you poured yourself out of that equation. Unfortunately for you, there's no other way around it. Let's take one more. What's up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper. Picks me for Monday the 27th, the Monday Night Football game. Now, you already know what the play is. I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, from the contest lines, was minus three and a half over the Chicago Bears. Again, we're going to go with the Vikings minus the three and a half. You might also see it at three. I'm not sure. You have to let me know. I think it's a family play. Let's see. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go.
I always love your passion, Jeff Money. We are heads up in that game, though. I think they're begging you to bet Minnesota over at FanDuel. I'll go the other way. I'll hold my nose. Chicago with Justin Fields back. I think they covered a three. This will do it for the local angle. New York, New York with John Zinstremski. We'll be back next week. We're coming right back. All right, next up, we got Jason Goff from the full go. Chicago Bears go to Minnesota Monday night. Encouraging performance by the Bears last week. They lost against the Lions. Can they come back? Can they beat this Vikings team? Let's see what Jason has to say. to all the people out there on the local angle shout out to our FanDuel TV peeps we appreciate you love your patronage of course this is the full goal podcast I'm Jason Goff you can catch us every Sunday every Tuesday and every Thursday during the week and if not we might drop an emergency pod this might be an emergency pod just how long Chris is gonna let me run we'll tell you how long this emergency pod might be after this so you know I know I was supposed to come in here and talk about the Monday night football preview between the Bears and the Vikings that I don't know at least two cities in America are looking forward to in terms of a football matchup. But guess what I just got finished watching? I just got finished doing the pre and post game show on NBC Sports Chicago for the Chicago Bulls. And they lost by nine to the Brooklyn Nets. And you might say, oh, Jay, you know, nine, it's not, a, it's a respectable margin. They were up by 21 in the first quarter. Not only did they get walked down, they got walked down in the second quarter. Mm, it wasn't even like a third quarter, fourth quarter walk. They got walked down in the second quarter. The Brooklyn Nets were allowed to hit 16 threes in the first half of this ball game, and then it was a barrage. It was an onslaught. It was an avalanche. Any kind of modifier you would like to use, all the shots were falling after that. You know why? Because professional basketball players can hit shots when they aren't touched, when they aren't bothered, when they aren't when they aren't um, interacted with, when they are not engaged with. The Chicago Bulls, once again this season, asked the game how hard you want me to play and then bowed out. And for everybody out there who thinks that, oh, Jason, you don't like the Bulls, my problem is I like the Bulls too much. My problem is I've seen this franchise have glory days before. My problem is I'm watching the rest of the NBA and how they are getting down, and there's no way in hell, no way in on God's green earth that you could tell me that Nikola Vucevic, DeMar DeRozan, and Zach Levine should be leading a team to a 5-13 and 13 record. I don't care what new shot profiles are being emphasized. I don't care what ball movement has been talked about in the offseason. I don't care what happened in Nashville for the week away, their, their, their state case in Nashville where they got to have all the tough conversations. This team started the season with a players-only meeting and then two and a half weeks into it, their best player is open to trade possibilities. So for everybody out there that, that, that thinks that this thing is just, oh, they can just turn it around, first of all, that number is dwindling. There is an apathetic nature setting in the Bulls fans now, and I don't blame you one bit. I'm still kind of upset about it. The apathy won't kick in for me because I got a job to do every single night, and we love hanging out with the people, but at some point, man, it's hard turning chicken into chicken salad every single night. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to the fans about what they saw. What they saw against the Brooklyn Nets was a lack of effort for three quarters after the game had told them that they had played hard enough. 
It's as simple as that for me. And I'm not about to sit here and put this on these young kids either because that's what was tried. To, that was that was what was floated the first couple of weeks of the season. Well, you know, it's Kobe White, it's Patrick Williams. Your top three players. You are what your team is because of your top three players. Follow the money at all times. Zach Levine has not played well enough this year, and now he's dealing with right foot soreness. DeMar DeRozan has not hit shots at the pace that he we are used to seeing him hit. The first couple of weeks or so, his mid-range and at the, at the cup numbers have been down. Now, can that be that the man is 15 years into an NBA career and can't possibly take the high degree of difficulty shots over and over and over again for it to be a sustainable winning form? formula that's okay fine i can even deal with that but the nikola vucevic piece boggles my mind the last couple of games headed into the brooklyn game he had averaged eight shot attempts per game this is a man who signed a three-year i believe 60 million dollar deal he's got the most security if you really look at it of anybody on the big three if zach levine is open to a trade possibility you know well demar DeRozan ain't gonna stick around and raise no kids so what are we really looking at here like as a bulls fan and I don't care who hears this. I don't care who gets upset about it. I have received every email, every text, and every call. And I'm, I'm going to be the last one saying it like this. It is on the powers that be at this point now. Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley, somebody got to come out and say something. Because Billy Donovan is saying the same things at the end of these post-game pressers. And I'm not even mad at Billy Donovan. Because if you're Billy Donovan, this is what you've gotten when you haven't gone in on the players. Never mind the fact that if you say something maybe about one of these guys, will you lose them? And if you're going to lose them, you're already 5-13. and 13. So what, what depths are you going to sink to? I would have never imagined that the Bulls would be the third worst team in the Eastern Conference behind the Detroit Pistons and the Washington Wizards. Two teams who are in full rebuild mode. One team who gave a coach $80 plus million to come fix their culture in Monty Williams and the Detroit Pistons. And you know, the Washington Wizards traded for Jordan Poole. So you know where their lot is in life in terms of winning. This is who the Bulls are ahead of in the Eastern Conference. And as we take a look at the top of those Eastern Conference standings for two years now, I've been telling y'all what's going on with that Orlando Magic team, what's going on with that Indiana Pacers team, and of course, we already seen what's happening with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They are already playoff contenders. Hell, you, they have already gotten to the point where people are like, hey, when is this going to happen? They just got good. They just got good. So not only are you still looking up at the top tier teams and the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, Philadelphia 76ers and the like, the teams that were behind you have now lapped you. And it was plain, today, plain as day to see. It was right there for everybody to see. Young players playing hard, coming in and getting in the Bulls' chest, talking crazy. When Jalen Suggs hits a game winner and can talk crazy to a bunch of veterans, that's when you know it's time to start looking around and see what else might be available. And for everybody out there, oh, you can't trade Zach. You can't move on from Zach. Yeah, listen, I like Zach Levine as much as the next guy, but what have you won with him? What have you won? Now, if all you want to do is be an entertaining basketball team and have a couple of national games where you can say, hey, there goes my guy going crazy for 35 or 36 points, fine. Bravo to you. I was born and bred and groomed in a different basketball fandom in this city. Every summer, I knew what the 
I was going to be doing as a child is watching my favorite team play in the finals. And of course, we got the Haley's comment that is Michael Jordan. I'm not expecting that, but I'll be damned if I didn't similarly appreciate the Kirk Heinrich, Ben Gordon, Andre Snocioni teams and Lou Aldang and them boys and Joe King Noah. I appreciated them too. So it's not just about winning, and it's not just about championships. Of course you'd love that as a Bulls fan, as any NBA fan, any fan, period. But if you don't have championship contention, all I can ask is that you play hard. People talk that craziness about this old city of broad shoulders and second city and tough-minded, all that. Yeah, the people who pull up to the United Center, I'm sure they're all tough. They worked hard as they, they toughed it out to get that money to buy them tickets. We got to stop letting people just cape and throw throw on their Chicago armor when it's time to talk that tough stuff. This team was up by 21 against a team without its top scorer in Camp Thomas, who scores 27 points a game. They were up by 21, and the Brooklyn Nets didn't blink. Didn't blink. Walked you down by halftime. You were up 21. You were down, what, was it five? You were down six, seven points at halftime. Now, I'm no math major. But that's a of a turnaround in one quarter. So, yeah, I know I'm supposed to come on here, talk to y'all about Kevin Warren and what he might be looking at. And has Ryan Poles, you know, endeared himself enough to Bears fans and also you know, the, the, the coaching situation with the Bears? Have, has Matt Eberflus and Lou Getzey and them boys, uh, you know, deserved or, or have they, uh, have they, do they deserve, I should say? to coach Justin Fields going forward. And these next six, seven games will be the referendum on that. I know. Monday night football, you know, da, 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 all that that y'all want me to be excited about between the Vikings and the Bears. Sorry, can't do it tonight. You know why I can't do it tonight? Because I watched a piss poor product for two and a half hours just now. And I got to bite my tongue in certain ways because certain people get offended by it. That ain't happening no more. And that didn't happen in this pre and post game that we just did because that effort was substandard, substandard. And I'm tired of hearing these words like inexcusable and unacceptable. We've talked about it on this pod before. Anybody that says unacceptable, inexcusable won't be tolerated. I always ask what you're going to do. Then what? When it happens again, which excuse will you make? When it happens again, how acceptable will it be? When it happens again, what will be tolerated? This team has gotten off to terrible first quarters for the past week and a half. They listened, played hard, were up by 21, and then pissed away the lead for the next two quarters. That's not Bulls basketball in my estimation. That's losing basketball. And the reason why I'm feeling like this and the reason why I'm talking like this is because I have high expectations for a team that has those caliber of players leading the way and a 5-13 and 13 record representing how much effort they've put forth. It's as simple as that. There's no more talk. There's no more conjecture. There's no more what-ifs. You are where you are right now. Teams that start like this, we start talking about being in the high lottery. And that's exactly the conversation framing that needs to happen going forward. Once Zach Levine is moved sometime in late December, mid-December, we'll see exactly what this team really is and how they were put together. Patrick Williams had a terrific night against the Brooklyn Nets. Goes for not. You know why? Because they got beat by a team that all they had to do was shoot open three-pointers for a good hour and a half in an open gym setting with eh, just an NBA win attached to it. So enjoy yourselves. I will not be acting like y'all ain't out here putting syrup on shit and calling it pancakes anymore. That was substandard. 
It was awful. It's the worst loss this season. And it's not hyperbole. There's been some bad ones. This is the worst loss of the season. Y'all can catch us every Sunday, every Tuesday, every Thursday. We have good things to talk about. We have a lot of fun on this pod. I like to serious it out every once in a while. And every once in a while, I get into my fan bag like that. Hopefully, y'all have had a good Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Of course, this is the Local Angle. Shout out to our FanDuel TV peeps. We'll see you later.